Founded in 1682 by William Penn, Europeans first settled in Pennsylvania in 1637, although several tribes of indigenous people occupied the land for centuries before this. Pivotal in the French and Indian Wars, the Seven Years' War, the American Revolution, and the United States Civil War, it is no surprise that with such a rich history, our state has developed a culture that is distinctive and multifaceted. Full of legends and real-life heroes who risked everything for their beliefs, today Pennsylvania retains strong elements of folk culture developed by a combination of ideologies practiced by the varied ethnicities of original settlers, Native Americans, and shared experiences. Legends and lore passed down over centuries reveal philosophies that are as superstitious as they are religious and even scientific, resulting in a microculture found nowhere else. You are listening to Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore, where we believe that behind every great story, there is a nugget of truth. In each episode, your hosts, Ethan and Holly, will attempt to uncover that truth and preserve a part of our incredible Pennsylvanian lifestyle. Hey everyone, thanks for joining in. Today's story is a local ghost story, one that actually hits real close to home here for the Sholly Agency, one that I wasn't even aware of growing up. It's very interesting. We'll be diving into our research to see if the main character of the story actually existed, and in doing so, resolving discrepancies between the story and local history. Sit back and enjoy. The singular appearance of a white deer in the one of the most beautiful watersheds of present-day Union County was a wonder to the valley's earliest settlers who came in 1770. But the Native Americans who dwelled in this region since long before were excited, considering it a forewarning sign from their great spirit, an omen of a significant event that would change their lives. However, to the settlers, the albino deer was a coveted trophy, and when it was finally slain, many trekked miles to see it. The deer's appearance created such a commotion that the small stream along which the, the deer was shot has since been known as White Deer Creek and the valley through which the creek runs is known as White Deer Valley. For decades after, the animal was reported to be the only white deer ever seen in the valley until two were spotted by lo a local hunter in 1850. Since this time, no other white deer have been seen in the valley, but another white ghost shows her presence occasionally and perhaps mourns the disappearance of the animals once she considered kindred spirits. White Deer Valley starts in the mountains south of Loganton, passes through the McCall's Dam State Park region, and ends just south of the cut in the mountains where White Deer Creek passes through on its journey towards the modern-day Interstate 80. The stream flows the entire length of the White Deer Valley and then parallels the interstate until it empties into the west branch of the Susquehanna River and the town of White Deer. Despite the interstate, White Deer Valley remains mostly an unspoiled wilderness. The region has the unique privilege of having the only Interstate 80 exit in Pennsylvania with no facilities nearby. Every state has haunted highways, and Pennsylvania is no different. From the phantom hitchhikers to spectral vehicles to gravity hills, there are many miles of highway that are supposedly haunted. White Deer Pike, also known as State Route 1010, and the Sugar Valley Narrows Road is supposedly one of those roads if the tale is true. 
In researching Pennsylvania folklore, we stumbled upon a legend that comes from White Deer Valley. Originally penned in the late 1800s by folklorist Henry Shoemaker, the Ghost Walk records a haunting involving a man he refers to as Daniel McKean, who in 1846 moved to White Deer Valley with his parents and brothers. The McKeans cleared the forest land and erected a house and barn along the White Deer Creek. When clearing the ground around the homestead, they allowed two gigantic white pines to remain standing in front of the barn to provide shade for the animals using the water trough. Everything seemed to go well for the family as they farmed the lands in the remote valley. However, life took an interesting turn for the McKeans one evening when the sheep did not return from the pasture. Daniel was sent out to find the missing animals, but by the time he found the animals, returned them to the barn, stabled his mount, it was about 11 o'clock. Daniel closed the barn doors and turning towards the house was stunned at the sight before his eyes. In the area between the two large pines was a ball of light that looked as if it was dancing. As it bounced between the trees, the ball elongated and grew larger until it transformed into a young woman of great beauty. Their eyes met and Daniel instantly fell in love with the ghostly enchantress. Time stood still as he was arrested by the vision of beauty. Then the beautiful maiden reached out and touched one of the trees, instantly turned back into a ball of light and disappeared. The next night, Daniel slipped out of the house and was once again treated to the same vision. This went on for some time until his father demanded to know what Daniel was doing. Shoemaker does not record why his father demanded this. Maybe Daniel was caught sneaking out or maybe his work ethic disappeared. Regardless, his father finally confronted Daniel about his mysterious night wanderings. That night, Daniel was accompanied by his father to the area where Daniel had been watching this spectacle beauty. Daniel's father never spoke about what he did or did not see that night, but the next morning, despite Daniel's protest, the two pine trees were cut down and burned. For weeks after, the two stumps dripped a strange red sap that looked like blood. Daniel never married, and his heart belonged to the ghostly woman. Daniel's brothers eventually moved on, found their own homes, moved west, and started families. When his parents passed on, the land was left to Daniel, who remained on the old farmhouse. People would see him sitting near the old, rotted stumps, talking to himself, hoping to see his lovely maiden again. We first stumbled across this tale on a blog written by adventurist and folklore lover Norman Hauser, who writes about his ventures in the Pennsylvania Rambler. The story was also documented by Shoemaker's successor, Jeffrey Frazier, in his book, Pennsylvania Fireside Ghost Tales. Both included a modern day twist that happened to friends of Hauser's. Norman had been told this story prior to ever hearing Henry Shoemaker's tale and was surprised by the number of similarities, which may lend credence to the original tale. It goes like this. I went to college with Frank and his wife, Heather. We had several classes together, and while doing a project for a literature class, discovered that we were all interested in ghost stories and folklore. We should share ghost stories. We would share ghost stories, but we rarely spoke about personal experiences. Have you ever seen a ghost? Heather asked one evening. The statement came seemingly out of nowhere and immediately caught my attention. Frank tried to push it aside, but I was interested. After a little prying, they conveyed the tale that occurred in the autumn of 1995, a couple of weeks before they had shared the story with me. They were headed home for the weekend and due to various reasons, they did not leave Lock Haven until it was getting dark. 
It was around eight or nine at night when we left, Heather recalled. They were nearing the mile run exit on Interstate 80 when they came to a halt due to traffic, which was lined up as far as they could see. For an unknown reason, the traffic just sat there, Heather would recall. We decided to get off and take the side road that paralleled the interstate. This side road would be White Deer Pike. As they drove along, they both thought it was strange that no other vehicles got off at this exit, especially seeing that the traffic was barely moving. They had traveled just a short distance when they saw her standing along the road. The short distance, according to Frank, was roughly a mile. We got off the exit, turned left, we crossed over a bridge, and then we went down a hill. It was in that area when we spotted her. They described her as a beautiful young woman, about 20 years old, and blondish hair. She wore what appeared to be a flowy white, translucent wrapping that did little to hide her natural beauty. She might as well have been naked, Frank laughed, causing Heather to give him a cold stare. You saw everything. The figure was standing along the edge of the road when they passed her. She was standing along the right side of the road. I mean, right on the edge. I had to swerve into the other lane to avoid hitting her. Not sure what they had just seen, they found a place about a half a mile past her where they could safely turn the car around. The figure was still standing there when they returned. Frank and Heather described a young woman with long flowing hair. They both agreed that she appeared to be solid and seemed to shine in the car's headlights. Though she never moved, her clothing flapped wildly in the air as if caught in a strong wind. Looking at her, the detail both would later remember were her eyes. They were sad eyes, Frank remembered. Heather agreed. It's funny, Frank stated. It's been 20 some years and I still remember the sadness in those eyes. I can't remember what I did yesterday, but those eyes. The words Heather spoke next summed up the experience. She turned into a ball of light and zipped off through the woods. In an instant, the woman who had been standing there shrunk into a small ball of light and flew over White Deer Creek and disappeared southward into the woods, all in a matter of seconds. Frank and Heather, Heather sat there for a couple of seconds, though they said it felt like a long time before they decided to get out of the area. They quickly turned around and drove as fast as they could to a place some distance between them and what they had just witnessed. The sincerity in their voices that evening told me they experienced something they could not explain. It has stuck with us, Frank said. We never drove that stretch of interstate ever again in the dark. If it was getting dark when we wanted to leave Lock Haven, we just waited until the next day. It made Heather happier because she never liked driving past that spot at night. Honestly, I don't blame her. I never drive through the area in the dark again. So if we look at these two accounts of the stories, we find some striking similarities. So both the events took place along White Deer Creek and Frank and Heather sighting was not very far from when, where Henry Shoemaker claimed Daniel's ghost story happened in 1846. So that's one similarity. Another one is both ghosts were described as beautiful women and they both turned into a ball of light before zipping off into nowhere. So those similarities between the stories are what makes us think that they are connected. Correct. <laughs> so could this possibly be the same spirit? Moreover, could the original tale conveyed by Henry Shoemaker be factual? This seemed like a great opportunity to do a deep dive into the local ghost story. So we began our research by reaching out to Norman Hauser and Jeffrey Frazier. 
Since Shoemaker was known to practice narrative license when writing, he admits to having slightly altered the name of Daniel McKean in his tale. We felt it would be good to get some expert advice on Shoemaker's writing style and what he would have altered regarding the character's name. Both Norman and Jeffrey felt that Shoemaker would most likely have altered his last name. So here is where our journey begins. Finding a Daniel with a last name similar to McKean, McCain, McKay, McCollum, Macaulay, Macaw, or any other Scottish-Irish Mick last name that lived in the White Deer Valley and would have been in his mid to late teens in 1846. We started at the Union County Library digging through their county history books and historical archives. So much information about the history of towns and some noble families, but no one that matched our Daniel character. Unwilling to admit defeat, we dug deeper. Using an ancestry site and working with the Union County Historical Society, we focused on Scottish-Irish families that lived in the White Deer Valley region with similar last names from the 1820s to the 1850s. Again, no Daniel. There were a few records that appeared promising, but resulted in nothing concrete. Then we found an awesome nugget of information. In the electronic files of Penn State University's library archives, there exists a first edition copy of the original Pennsylvania Mountain Stories written by Henry Shoemaker and published in 1907. A copy of the document will be attached in our blog and in the original telling of the ghost walk found on page 64, Shoemaker writes that the young man's name was Silas McKean. While Shoemaker still claims that the name is slightly altered, it made us think, where did Daniel come from? We have a later publication of Shoemaker's stories and in that copy, the character is listed as Daniel. So this raises the following questions. Was Daniel truly the altered name replacing Silas? And is this last name accurate? Was Silas the altered name replacing Daniel and is the last name accurate? Were both Silas and Daniel altered names for the actual individual and the last name is accurate? Or were both the first and last name slightly altered but close to the original? At this point, we proceeded to search with what we knew was factual, that the family settled in White Deer Valley in 1846, that Silas or Daniel McKean would have lived out the remainder of his life in that area and according to the story, be considered an old man, and that the family was of Scottish-Irish descent and farmers. Moving forward this, with this information, we found the following individual via the ancestry site. No Silas or Daniel, but David McKean, also recorded as David McCain, was born in Delaware Township, Northumberland County, on July 25, 1828, making him approximately 18 years old at the time of the story in 1846. David was the son of John McKean, who was listed on an 1830 census as residing in Turber Township, Northumberland, Pennsylvania, which is just below Delaware Township. In 1850, however, the census records having John residing within Delaware Township. David's great-great-grandfather was William McCain, who was a Scottish-Irish settler who came from Atrium, Ireland to New London, PA in 1704. It appears that his children adopted the Irish spelling of their surname, McKean, and dropped the Scottish spelling, McCain. While I could not find any occupational records for him, 
David's father was born on April 25th, 1790, and passed away on February 21st, 1858, making him present for the events of 1846 and 68 years old at the time of his death. In 1860, a census record for Northumberland County shows David, along with his mother Mary, brother John, and sister Elizabeth, all as still residing in Delaware Township. No father is listed, which match, matches the, the death record of John Sr. An 1890 census also confirms David's residency in the same location. He died on June 7, 1905, at age 76, and is buried in Milton, Pennsylvania. There are a few details about David's life that depart from the story, but don't necessarily eliminate him as a fit for the actual person this tale is about. David has a record of military service in the Civil War from 1864 through 1865. This is not surprising as most men his age would have been enlisted in the war. David did marry and have children, although we could not find a concrete date for the marriage. He married Bridget Ann Durkin. They had three children, John, Anna, and Andrew. The eldest child, John, was born in 1855. This does not seem odd to us as he would have been expected to marry and carry on the family name through his children. With his first child being born in 1855, a decent window is given for him to pine away for his ghostly love. Also, marriages in this time were still not always for love and often arranged. There is a period that he may or may not have resided in Lakeland, Minnesota in around 1880 and Thatcher, Nebraska in around 1885. We found only one genealogy site that lists him as residing in these places, but all have him located in Delaware Township by the 1890 census. We also trace several members and branches of the McCain-McKean family in the Midwest through the 1800s. This ties in with a tale that the main character siblings moved out west but it does not state that Daniel also resides out west. In this era, it would not be uncommon for family to visit and stay for extended periods. Henry Shoemaker's tales were published in 1907, while David passed in 1905. However, the original records of the ghost walk occurred in 1898. We know this because his opening paragraph, Shoemaker states that events occurred 52 years ago. All of their records have David as residing in Delaware Township, Northumberland, PA, not in Union County or White Deer. The most glaring issue seems to be this fourth issue, Delaware Township, which is very close to White Deer and absolutely part of White Deer Valley, but not close enough to the Mile Run exit and Sugar Valley Narrows of where the ghost was seen in 1995 on White Deer Pike. Since it was so close, we dove into some more research about the history of Union and Northumberland counties. What we found eliminated any doubt. Currently, White Deer Township is bordered by Lycoming County and Gregg Township to the north, the West Branch Susquehanna River to the east, over which lies Northumberland County, Kelly, and Buffalo Townships to the south, and West Buffalo Township to the west. Within White Deer Township are the unincorporated communities of White Deer and New Columbia, plus a portion of West Millen. Delaware Township's borders lie just below Montgomery, PA at the north and just above New Columbia at the south. Its western borders include the Susquehanna River on which the town of White Deer sits. White Deer and New Columbia are solidly in Union County. Milton is part of Northumberland County. At one time, these towns, all of Union and Columbia counties, 
were part of Northumberland County. Northumberland County was established in 1772 and once extended from the Lehigh River to the Allegheny River with New York State as its northern border. Alone, Northumberland County encompassed one-third of the state. However, increasing populations led to the formation of Union and Columbia counties in 1813. These counties were carved out of Northumberland County, and there are records of residents being extremely dissatisfied with their dismemberment, even opposing the division into the mid to late 1800s. In addition, White Deer Township was, and still is, unincorporated, meaning the census location for those living in this area would have been another nearby town. Today, that is possibly New Columbia or West Milton, but at the time David McKean was living, and at the time of the story, those parameters were likely blurred. It seems plausible that due to his history of the area and the proximity of the townships, he and his family could have been living on a farm at the White Deer Valley near Sugar Valley Narrows, where White Deer Pike currently runs through, and still be on a census for Delaware Township. We shared our findings with both Jeffrey Frazier and Norman Hauser, and they concurred we have likely found Daniel or Silas McKean. We have not been able to find any other accounts of individuals seeing this beautiful apparition. Undoubtedly, many have tried to see the same ghosts turning off of I-80 at the Mile Run exit after dark and headed eastward on White Deer Pike. And what we found, she's never appeared. Perhaps she's satisfied that her story is being shared. Nonetheless, her name, apparent tragedy, and the location of her earthly remains are as much a mystery as when McKean first became enamored with her. If you happen to travel Interstate 80 at night and decide to take the Mile Run exit, traveling along White Deer Pike through the Sugar Valley Narrows, be sure to keep your eyes open. Maybe you too will spot the lovely maiden. And if you do, be sure to let us know. So that's a very interesting story that I did not know growing up around the area. I would have assumed that you would know more so than I would know. Nope. You grew up a lot closer to it than I did and travel out that way. Correct. Yeah. Well, dad and I used to fish. We used to fish out there, so never saw any ghost during the day, <laughs> but uh, been but out there many times, the but never, never heard of the legend. It's a good one being so close. And I find it interesting that there are two different stories that are so similar that gives it a lot more credit to me. If you're just hearing a legend, it's hard to know, you know, any sort of the background with it, but I feel like having other eyewitnesses to it in 1995 gives it a lot more credit, at least in my eyes. Yeah, I, I mean, you know me on my opinion of ghost stories in general. I'm not a... I'm definitely more of a believer. Yeah, I'm not a super big <laughs> believer in ghost stories. I've definitely had some experiences throughout my life that's like, okay, maybe something is possible, but I've never seen a ghost that it's like, oh, well, I believe in ghosts. So well, and I think too, a little like, more skeptical. Just getting to figure out who, who the story Henry Shoemaker was writing about, if he was a real person. If he wasn't a real person, then it's just a Somebody. tale. Somebody's you know, story. it's it's not, there's no validity to it until you actually find who the story is truly about, you know, to, to actually put some credit to it. Correct. Now, we do have the 1995 sighting of people who... Right, but that doesn't give any sort of validity to uh, well, it's... David Daniel Silas 
story. That Correct, just, but I mean, it does, but then it doesn't actually. A lot of the information aligns from the story to, you know, their sighting, unless they. What gets me is read that the they were both and... so similar as like they're watching her. She was there for a long time. They left and came back. She was still there, and then she turned into a ball of light and then just disappeared. Yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah. And the fact that they didn't know about the story prior also gives them a little more credit. And it sounds like they weren't too forthcoming with the story either. You know, they waited a couple weeks to talk about it and... Right. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I believe they saw what they claim they saw. Yeah, I believe what they think happened, they definitely saw. But for me, it's just like, ah, I don't know. Until you see it, you're yeah. not, you're not and convinced. I am a, I need to see the facts. And I know now, not in 1995, you know, cell phones were not. Well, uh, that's what's, but that's what's fun about cameras. ghost stories. You Correct. have to have faith and believe that there's Correct. And like I said, there. I, there's been, I've had two experiences in my life that, okay, maybe ghosts are real, but none I, that, I've never had something that's like, oh yeah, I totally believe this. Sometimes I think I just saw things. I think one of the, the cliffhangers from this story that bugs me is just that, like, we have no idea who this woman is. Right. You know, like, obviously she passed away long ago since this story was from 1846, but it's just sad that the story kind of revolves around her and we know nothing about her. That's sad. Yeah, and... I, uh, traveling that road many times, I know you've been on it once or twice, but in the middle of the night, if a person is standing alongside the road <laughs> on White Deer Pike, I'm gonna just say, see ya, and drive away. <laughs> Unless it would they look be like they need help, but it if would it's be just someone standing there, I'm out of there. A glowing woman, dress blowing in the wind with no wind. Like, that would be very intriguing. Although, until you're in that situation, I can't tell you, you'd probably be scared out of your mind, but well, it would be very fun to see. For the listeners that know the area, also know there's nothing around. To give the off light. Correct. Well, to give off light, and if you see something like this, most people aren't going to hang around because there's nothing around. <laughs> It's miles and miles and miles away from Right, like we said, it's, it's, it's one of the, it is the only Pennsylvania exit that doesn't have amenities or anything close by. Yes. And so that, you get off and there's a reason for you to get off at that exit, which could be why nobody else was getting off at that exit when Heather and Frank were getting off at the exit. You know, if there's nothing there... Right. And in 1995, well, nowadays you can get off at the exit and say, hey, my phone, <laughs> tell me how to get where I need to go using this exit. But back in 1995, you got off at an exit, you kind of had to have an idea as far as where you were going. And right. if there's nothing at that exit, you can't ask for directions, you can't figure things out. That could be another reason why they were the only people getting off. Or people could have known about the legend and just avoided it. Anyway, although you grew up in the area and you never heard of it either, yeah, I've so never, who like knows? Said, I, no one's ever said anything to me about it, and maybe it's not a 
maybe to our listeners, maybe it's not as common of a story as people think it should be, or that you know all these lo- all of us locals should know the story, but maybe it just wasn't talked about that much that it mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't know about it. Um, and I feel like that kind of gives it a little more credit too, because if it's not so widely talked about, then people don't know about it. So if you have an experience, I feel like that gives it more credit because you're not, you don't know about it. You can just, they saw something and it just gives the original tale more weight. Yeah. And I do find it interesting, like listening and learning about the story. I will say that, and I think I've told you this numerous times from like all of my hunting travels, cause that's my main road that I, well, 80 is the main road that I travel to go to where I hunt. And it's, you can see white deer pike right from 80, but I have always said that that stretch of road is some of the scariest stretch of road that I've ever traveled on. It's a little creepy at, at night cause there really is nothing around. And like, there's always accidents and it always seems to be like the most dangerous section of road in Pennsylvania, in my opinion, because there's just always, it seems like always something is happening there. Uh, I believe 180, there was somebody who was murdered and their body was found along the exit. And then, like I said, it, it just, there's always, it seems like there's always accidents there. And you wonder then, could the accidents have something to do with this lady in white? If they're like seeing something and, you know, you never know. In, yes, in your brain, maybe, but... Well, that's where my I, brain goes. Not for goes. me. Not for me, but I've always your, just... Your, your brain goes to, okay, it's the environment. There's something about this road that is treacherous to people driving. And my brain goes, they're seeing a lady in white and they're just losing control of their cars because of seeing a ghost. But my, but my point is that it's already kind of a sketchy road as it is that I feel like people... I mean, if you go off... Of, 80 is a sketchy road. If you're like, oh, I'm going to get off at the mile run exit because there's some, you know, in Frank and Heather's case, traffic problems and they knew where they were going, that's an even sketchy, like, it's not sketchy to us natives, but to people who don't regularly travel it, it's a little bit of a weird, creepy road. It's stones and it's well, and that was one how, and a that half was lanes. in 1995. Right. And I think in 1995, you know, still, in it was still stones. In 2022, it. Half. Half of uh, or it was probably in worse condition back then than it is now. I'm I don't know. I think it has always been in 1995. I think it was still stoned like it is today. I don't know that that has changed. Anybody knows that information? Please let me know. But that would have been close to when I started going with Dad on fishing excursions, and I always remember it the way it still is today. Hmm. But my point was. At night, that's just a very creepy, weird so, section of so road. So have a creepy road plus a creepy lady. You're not sticking around. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I, the story is very fascinating to me. I I think it's interesting, and it's just one little piece of Pennsylvania lore or mystery that has just been here that I didn't know about, and it was awesome learning about it. And well, and I think that's what's going to be fun about about this podcast is, you know, we're learning, but also, you know, there are stories that people who have lived here our entire lives have never heard. And then we can get your input to kind of see 
if there's more to the story, if anybody else knows any more, is if anybody has seen anything. Like I think having a good interaction with with our listeners is going to be key to, you know, seeing if there really is anything to some of these stories and legends. Yeah, I and if you're listening and you do know about this story or have more information or have heard a different version, you know, know anything about it prior to listening to this. If you're watching it on YouTube or Facebook, leave a comment. Let us know what you've heard or reach out to us and give us the your version that you've heard. Build off of what we already know and maybe provide some additional information. And again, you can reach out to us, you know, leave a comment on Facebook, YouTube, or uh, shoot us an email at info at shollyagency.com. Also, if you have any other Pennsylvania legends um, not related to this uh, and you would like to like us to cover it, let us know. We're looking to cover all the mysteries of Pennsylvania, so uh, we'd be interested in hearing about them. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll catch you in the next one. If you liked what you heard in this episode, be sure to follow Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore on your preferred podcast platform to stay up to date on new content. Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore is produced by Harv Productions, LLC.